Welcome to SpyFi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And today we have a Microdot episode to go along with last week's Argo. Ooh. All right. What do we got? November 1979, the same month that the events of the movie began with the seizing of the U.S. Embassy, 50,000 pilgrims have gathered to worship at the Grand Mosque in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. Okay. Following the Hajj, one of the seven pillars of Mm -hmm. Islam. As the imam prepares to lead the faithful in prayer, a man seizes his microphone, but his intention was not to correct him and say who actually had the best album of the year. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to let you finish. Okay. Right. His name was Juhayman al-Utabi, and he declared that the Mahdi had arrived. His followers opened some caskets they had brought with them to reveal handguns and rifles and other weapons. The Grand Mosque seizure had begun. Wow. So you may be asking, who is this Al Otavi guy? Well, like his father and his grandfather before him, he was a resident of Saudi Arabia who was opposed to the Saudi government, kind of like Osama bin Laden. And he also, like Osama bin Laden, wanted a more hardline version of Islam to rule the country. So, yeah. you know, same old, same old story that we've been getting with Islamic radicals. So, Otebi founded yet another separatist group named Beit al-Ikhwan. And his yeah. followers believed that al-Otebi's brother-in-law was the Mahdi, a.k.a. the Messiah. Okay, I was, I was, I, no, that, that, that helps out uh, okay. context. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, sorry, the Mahdi is also known as the Redeemer, Messianic figure. Okay. So the reasoning for why this particular guy was the Mahdi was the name of his father was the same as Muhammad's father. And they come from the same place. Okay. And if that is insufficient evidence to you, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but the short version is these guys wanted to seize the mosque and they wanted to be in charge. Okay. So anyway, they pull out their guns, they chain the gates shut, and they killed two police. Oh, who had been armed only with wooden clubs because guns were not allowed inside the holy site. The number of insurgents ranged between 400 and 500, Hmm. including several women and child soldiers. Captured 50,000 hostages in the Grand Mosque, but realized they couldn't hold them all, so they released Hmm. most of them, including two African-American converts who didn't speak Arabic and couldn't understand what the heck was happening. Oh, jeez. So they took a few hundred and they locked the remainder in the sanctuary, then took positions in the mosque and on top of minarets, which are towers outside of mosques that they use to broadcast the call to prayer. A hundred Saudi cops tried to retake the mosque, but took heavy casualties and withdrew. So according to one of my sources... Mark Hambly, a political officer at the U.S. Embassy in Jeddah, and one of the Westerners who was aware of the situation, says the assault was brave but naive. They were immediately shot down, he says. The Shropshire had very good weapons, very good caliber Belgian rifles. Hmm. So meanwhile, the Saudis were able to prevent the media from, like, knowing about it, from it getting outside of the immediate area for now. So they brought in three French Group de Intervention de la Gendarme Nationale commandos, brought in as advisors. By evening, the entire city of Mecca was evacuated, and one of the sources described the mosque sitting like a big black hole in the center of the city because the power had been cut off to it. Oh, wow. (laughs) So like I said, the Saudis cut telephone service, restricted travel. They said everything's under control, nothing to see here. But... 
given the absence of reliable information, many embassies concluded that Ayatollah Khomeini in Iran, who mm-hmm. had just successfully done their own revolution, right. was behind the seizure of the mosque. Huh. So Khomeini got on the radio and he said, we didn't do it, but <laughs> it is not beyond guessing that this is the work of criminal American imperialism and international Zionism. What? So the, in other words, the usual suspects. But unfortunately, this led to anti-American demonstrations throughout the Muslim world, including the burning, like burning up the whole thing of U.S. embassies in Islamabad, Pakistan, and Tripoli, Libya. So meanwhile, a leader of a local university wanted all these Muslim scholars to get together, try to help defuse the situation, which you think would make the situation better, right? Maybe. No, (laughs) because the Saudis got nervous because they take their responsibility of being the guardians of Islamic holy places seriously. And if they needed help from a bunch of bookworms, it made them look bad. Uh, mm -hmm. So they were like, no. And they said the first order of business was to get the approval of a council of Islamic religious leaders together to get permission to engage in lethal violence inside the Grand Mosque. Oh. Well, because remember how they weren't even allowed to have guns before? Right, right, yeah. But... So they needed special permission to, like, to like kill people there. Um, huh. Because before this, even plants couldn't be uprooted within the mosque without an explicit religious sanction. And eventually, the what's called the Ulama, issued a fatwa allowing lethal force, which again reminded me of the Blues Brothers. (laughs) Okay, so it went on for weeks, and there were massive gun battles on all three of the main gates of the mosque, including sniping from the towers, use of artillery, military helicopters, even though the Saudi government said, officially, we're just going to starve them out. Hmm. The insurgents aired demands through the mosque's loudspeakers, calling for the cutoff of oil exports to the United States and the expulsion of all foreign people from the Arabian Peninsula. On the third day of the siege, the wannabe Mahdi, Al-Utabi's brother-in-law, was killed. So according according to one of my sources, it's because the Saudi cops were throwing grenades into the mosque and he picked one up and was going to throw it back, but it went off his hand. Oh, oof. But according to the BBC, he was hit by gunfire. Oh. So they don't really know how he died. But right. regardless. He died. Yeah. And his followers were like, I'm pretty sure this wasn't how this was supposed to go. Yeah. But the fighting went on. Oh. So eventually, the French commandos, who according to one account, which wasn't that reliable, they converted mm. to Islam so they could go into Mecca. Interesting. Non- yeah. Non-Muslims aren't allowed to go into Mecca at all. I feel like I've heard about that. Well, it's, it's still true. It's still yeah. true now. No, I mean, the, the converting thing. Oh, well, it seems to be a rumor. I couldn't find yeah. any, like, solid proof that I, they had done I, that. I, I've, I've, that sounds vaguely familiar to me. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So maybe it was from a movie. So they came maybe. up with a plan where they drilled holes in the floor of the mosque and then fired tear gas canisters wired with explosives, like, through, through the holes. Oh, Yeah, so depending on who you believe, either the French did it or the Saudis did it, but somebody did it. So in the end, the battle lasted for more than two weeks. 255 hostages, troops, and fanatics, insurgents, whatever you want to call them, were killed, and another 500 were injured. Thanks. Military casualties were 127 dead, 451 injured. 63 militants, including Al-Utabi himself, were captured, dispersed throughout Saudi Arabia, and then beheaded in the local town squares. Oh. 
which if you've read a Tom Clancy book that I'm forgetting, <laughs> the Saudis are in it and they do that to one of the uh, the bad guys. Huh. We'll have to ask our uh, Tom Clancy expert about that. Yeah. The government did nothing to respond to it in terms of changing their policies. In other words, they weren't going to give the insurgents what they want. But as Saudi followers know, over the next decade, they gradually ramped up the conservative interpretation of Islam to the uh. point where women weren't allowed to drive and, and so on and so forth. Al Otebi remained an inspiration even in death to jihadists for years and decades to come. So my sources for this were Wikipedia, an article from Inside Arabia, the BBC, and a book where I first heard about this called Black Wave, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and the 40-Year Rivalry by Kim Gaddis. That is the story of the Grand Mosque seizure. Yeah, I'd never heard of this before, but that's it. And especially occurring around the same time as the events at Argo, that's fascinating. I had never heard of it either, and that would have been a heck of a movie. <laughs> Certainly would have been a lot of action. Well, thank you for that, Zach. That, yeah, that was super interesting. You can find us on social media at The SpyFi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And we are The SpyFi Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening to The SpyFi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin McLeo from Incompetech.com Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spotify Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 